Welcome everybody to Bentry Church. I'm excited to uh, get to preach to you today. If you would, go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, we're going to be in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 13. We've got our crew from uh, Church on Campus joining us. You guys, we're excited for you guys to be here with us. Uh, so go ahead and get your notes out. Um, welcome to week three of our series. Uh, we, week three of volume three, Revelation. This is our third set of series on Revelation. We're just kind of putting them in groups of seven, eight weeks at a time. We are going through this book one verse at a time. Uh, we've spent the first two weeks on a major, major player in the uh, what a time called the tribulation, a great time of evil, terrible upheaval. Uh, and we spent our time on these last two weeks on a player named the Antichrist. Do you remember that? Uh, and I should say really two players because uh, it's not just the Antichrist. It is Satan himself uh, also uh, as a big player in this. Uh, so I just wanted to remind you of that. Uh, if you're just joining us, feel free to go back and listen to the first two weeks because uh, it'll catch you up on a lot of stuff. You can do that at bentreechurch.com or you can do it on the Bentry app. Uh, you can uh, also give there uh, and that's a handy place to keep up with what's going on with Bentry. So uh, before we go any further, let's go ahead and just jump right in with prayer. Ask God to bless us. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing here. Holy Spirit, we know that you're already here uh, with our worship. Uh, God, we've sung to you. Uh, we have prayed. Uh, and God, we now we turn our attention to you. God, I know there are people here from all walks of life, um, some with great distraction. Some didn't even mean to be here. But God, we know that you meant everyone to be in this room and, and, and Greeley at this moment. So God, we pray that you would take our attention and our focus and that you would uh, use your Holy Spirit to reveal some deep things to us, God, that we can use today. It's in Jesus' precious name. We all prayed and said... Well, amen, amen. Well, today we pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 13, um, Revelation. This comes right after what we've been talking about with the Antichrist. His ascent to power is this master politician. His wounding, his uh, assassination, or what it appears to be a fatal assassin's bullet. We, we just kind of think that may be the case. We know he was wounded, but what it appears is that he's risen from the dead. It's a fake uh, resurrection, though. We know Satan doesn't have the power over life. Um, and he comes into the second half of the tribulation. The first three and a half years, he was a man of peace. He was a man of kind of bringing everybody together. But after this point, he's going to be something very different. Uh, and, and this time, he is unleashing this huge um, persecution of Christians. Now, just a reminder, this is open-handed issues. In other words, good people disagree on this. But what I firmly believe that kicks off the seven years of tribulation is a time called the rapture, the sudden and total disappearance of all God's uh, children, all Christians from around the world in the blink of an eye, snap of a finger, right? And I believe that lets the world go super bad, 
super quick. Uh, You've got wars, famines, economic collapse, all of that stuff. That's this seven-year time frame. uh, And you've got a few things going on there. God is pouring out his wrath on the earth. That's what volume two was all about. And then the second thing that you've got going is that evil that's just exploding in growth. But the third thing that's going on, and this just doesn't make sense at the same time, is you've got this huge revival. It started with the two witnesses we studied back in volume two, uh, two Old Testament prophets. But then 144,000 Jewish believers that, that come to faith and work like kind of super evangelists that spread out all over the world that share the gospel. These men uh, create this deal with the power of the Holy Spirit. They start preaching the gospel. Millions of Jews get saved. Millions, possibly billions of Gentiles get saved. Uh, and yet... In the second half of this tribulation, we see this beast start to persecute and even kill all of these Christians. Uh, and we're, we're going to get there uh, in just a few minutes. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But I want you to see in verse 9 what happens here. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. So he's saying, heads up, guys, heads up. He's saying, if anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. Now this is one of the reasons uh, that we're talking about this today, this persecution of the church, is this right here, is what it's talking about is these Christians that are being martyred for their faith, persecuted for their faith. In other words, for Christians that came to a saving faith in Christ Jesus during the tribulation, there's going to be severe persecution. Believers locked up, prisons, I could even see prison camps, sometimes killed on sight, sometimes public execution, simply for proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Now, we're going to see this next week, but just a little foreshadowing, the 144,000 Jewish believers uh, that we talked about, 12,000 from each tribe, you'll remember that. they will be protected supernaturally. We're going to look at that. We looked at it in volume two, but they come back into the picture next week. They're protected uh, supernaturally by Jesus, but then um, the rest of the church on earth, severe persecution. Let me just ask, why would God allow persecution or even executions of Christians? Why would he allow that? Is, is God weak? No, I mean, the answer is no, but uh, I think two reasons. One, we have all, uh, he, God, has always worked for our good. When we're talking about Christians, last week we read that Romans 8, 28, he used all things, he uses all things to work together for good for those who love him and are what? Remember that? Called according to his purpose, right? And so he uses it for our good. And, and, but what we've got to see is it's not just in the moment that we think it's good, like our comfort. Uh, he's saying the good of all creation, of all eternity. So not just on this side of life, but on that side uh, when we're in the heavenly kingdom as well. So that's one reason. But the second reason is related to the first, and I want you to write this down. The spread of the gospel has always been propelled fastest by the persecution of the saints. 
Now, some of you, maybe with a Catholic background, you're going like the saints. Like, no, no, I don't get confused. We're not talking about Catholic saints. Saints, we believers in Jesus are saints. We've been sanctified, right? And so the persecution of the saints, here's what I know. Here's what I know is every time uh, since Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, every time a great persecution has broken out, a great revival has also broken out in time. We've seen it in Europe. Uh, persecution sent people to the, to the uh, Americas, uh, spread the gospel that way. Uh, persecution has worked uh, in places like uh, China. Uh, anybody remember the Cultural Revolution, the 50s, 60s, 70s? It actually propelled the church faster, even though thousands of Christians were jailed and tortured and even killed for their faith. Uh, we've seen it in Russia uh, the old Soviet Union, we still see it some in Russia. Our brothers and sisters uh, uh, from Africa that live in Greeley with us, we love that you're here now. Uh, you've shared uh, some of the extreme persecution that you've seen firsthand in Africa, and yet the church in Africa expands. We're seeing that in South America. We're seeing that in, in uh, places like North Korea, uh, we're seeing it in other places as well. Christians in the United States, man, we've kind of fallen into a lull, a kind of a, a peaceful calm. The, the church doesn't really accelerate in growth. There are lots of people that love Jesus. But we, uh, we have this, uh, this real freedom, if you will, to worship Christ. And yet we just kind of rest in that freedom. And we can't. We can't. The point is persecution, God has used it uh, Persecution now uh, of the saints plays a major role later today uh, in today's theme. So keep that kind of tucked back in your mind. And then next week also, persecution of the saints. But just to remind you, we're looking at the tribulation, this seven years, and we're talking about the last three and a half years, uh, and we're kind of at the midway mark right there, that three and a half years, the, a few months on either side of it. But let me remind you of what we saw in the last two weeks. What did we see in the last two weeks? Jesus is revealing a vision to the Apostle John. John's an old man now. He is in his 90s. He's imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And Jesus himself comes to him in a vision while he's in a cave. And John is writing this down. Jesus says, write this down. So John is busily writing this down while he sees this thing. The image that we've looked at uh, in last, uh, the last two weeks is a massive red dragon standing on the sand, the uh, seashore, and then from out of the sea pulling up this massive beast, monster if you will, seven heads, ten crowns, blasphemous names written on his head, uh, on his heads. And remember this imagery is to help us to understand the meaning. We've been looking at that imagery the last two weeks. But what I don't want you to miss is this man is a physical man on earth, the Antichrist, uh, but also it is a uh, man that is um, possessed by Satan. You remember studying that? And so those two have come together, and that drives what the people uh, uh, to worship him because of the thing that happened last week. Do you remember? You remember? 
This antichrist, everyone loves him. He's brought peace to the world, uh, but there's an assassination attempt and it appears to be fatal. We used a bullet, but it could be a sword. It could be an explosion. We don't know. But he makes a miraculous resurrection, if you would, from the dead. But we know that that's fake. Why? Because Satan does not have power over life and death. He cannot create. He only has the power of the lie. And that, my friends, only works if people believe it, right? And people believe it. They worship this beast as a resurrected Messiah, um, not, not the Jesus, not the Messiah we know, but they start to call him the Messiah, uh, and they start to worship Satan as God. They probably don't use the word Satan. I'm guessing that they have a different word, maybe even some of the Old Testament holy words for God's name, like Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, so... Finally, Satan is given all his power, fully possesses this Antichrist, sets him up with great power uh, in this newly built temple in Jerusalem to set up this next part of Scripture. I want you to see something. Let Let me remind you of a major theme from last week. Whatever God does, that's good, and he creates. Satan sets up a false version, a lie, a delusion that mimics the real thing. Think of it this way. We've used this analogy many times here. I like this. Let's say we're eating hot, uh, hot cookies, uh, and, uh, and I say, hey, how are those cookies? You say, they're wonderful. I say, how about a cold glass of milk? And you say, whoo, and as I'm pouring the milk, I start to hand it to you. I say, hey, wait, 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 just a little, and I pull out a dropper and drop just a little bit of poison in, a little cyanide. And I say, here it is, and then you're kind of backing up going, I don't want it. I say, it's a glass glass of milk. That's what Satan has done. He takes something, what seems to be good, he mixes poison in. Satan does not have the power to create, but he does have the power to bring a a lie into play. And people believe that that's what gives Satan his power. Are you with me? Okay, back to Revelation 13 verse 11. First half of the verse says, then I saw another beast. Not the first beast, this is another beast coming up out of the earth. Let's take a close look at the imagery here. The earth is still representative of the abyss or what can be translated maybe in your Bible as the bottomless pit there. Uh, This is a place, a temporary place uh, in creation where uh, God has created that he puts demons, fallen angels, most are on the earth, but many are there. This is the one that uh, demons were afraid when they were being cast out by Jesus. They said, don't send us to the pit, right? It's coming out of the pit. It's a place where God jailed these, uh, these angels. But now this, this evil is being let forth. Uh, this is the final false prophet. And you go, final? Well, because it's the final one. And you go, well, there's others? Sure. Thousands, millions. I mean, you're going all the way back through Scripture to the first false prophet, what? Well, that would have been the, the serpent, right? I mean, he, he took what God said and he bent it, added a little poison into it and said, here, take it and drink, right? We see them all over the world right now even, in the United States, uh, in Africa. We've seen them in China, uh, even in Mexico. They seem to multiply um, and it seems like they're on TV a lot. A false prophet is this, write this down. A false prophet is anyone who prophesies lies that do not line up with the word of God. Now, 
They're not going to say, hey, I'm lying. They're going to say truth. So they're going to say, hey, I've got truth. But they are lies if they do not match up with the word of God. Make sense? Now, there are thousands of these right now. And we have to be on guard as believers, uh, pastors in the church, Pastor Mike, uh, uh, Pastor Colt, me, uh, our, our elders here, Pastor Nathan. I, I mean, you get all these guys. One of our job is to watch for false teaching in the church. And, and look at the imagery in the second half of this verse. It says, it, the false prophet, had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. I don't know if you have ever been around sheep. They don't really have horns, especially lambs. They're just like little bumps on top of their head. They might kind of poke through, but they're, they kind of make them cute, kind of make them cute. Uh, if the Antichrist is mainly a politician, this guy is mainly a uh, holy man. Uh, he's a mainly a preacher, uh, a religious leader. Two horns described means he's less powerful than the Antichrist who has how many? Ten horns, right? Uh, he's less powerful uh, in comparison. He's weaker than the Antichrist. But look, with the lamb has the two little horns. Uh, in other words, he's like a lamb. Who else is a lamb? Is described the imagery we've looked at. It, we've looked at Jesus, the the Lamb who was slain for our sins. So he's mimicking Jesus here, the Lamb of God. Uh, but Christ is the real one. The false prophet will come not as a killing, destroying monster, but as a cute lamb. But it's a cute lamb. Uh, but as the lamb who seems gentle and attractive, approachable. He's not going to hurt anybody. It's what it seems like. But the second horn says something different. He's mild and meek in appearance, but what does verse 11 say about how he speaks? He speaks like a dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. In other words, he's very mild-mannered, but he speaks what he says is evil. He'll look one way, but he'll actively, uh, actually be very different. Scary stuff. Look at verse 14. For Satan disguises himself. Oh, I'm sorry. This is 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Look what Paul says. For Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. The false prophet will be Satan's mouthpiece. He will be disguised as a good, a holy person, a church man. He begins to promote the Antichrist's power. Uh, and does a great job of leading the world to believe that the Antichrist is the Son of God, is the Messiah, is the promised one of God, and millions, perhaps billions, will believe and be led astray. He will be like a chief priest. He will be like a pope. He will be like a chief shaman, uh, the most persuasive proponent of the one world religion, of a satanic religion. Obviously, they won't say satanic religion. Let me say just a kind of a side note. We have satanic worshipers now. Uh, they can't ever uh, make, it a, make a go of it because no one wants to worship Satan. Uh, even satanic people don't want to worship Satan. Uh, they have to dress it up. In other words, this is real worship of Satan, and yet it doesn't look like it. Um, this guy, the false prophet, will be key to uniting all the world's religions under one new religion of the Antichrist. And he will say things like, all the world's religions are partially right. They're all 
good in their own way. There's one God and different religions are just a way to get to that one thing. That's a lie, but he will say it as the truth, right? He will be key to uniting all these religions. He will say um, things like the Bible. You know, that is a good ancient scripture. There are a lot of good ideas in there, just like in other scriptures. But to get a complete knowledge of God, what we need to do is we need to combine all the ancient uh, scriptures from all the world's religions. He'll say things like uh, the Quran. Let's put that in there. Let's mix uh, the Mormon, uh, the Book of Mormon, uh, the Rigveda of the ancient Hindu. Let's put that in there. Uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead. That has some script. Let's put it all together and he'll create this unholy document, if you will. Um, he'll say things uh, like, they're all the same, just different ways to God. Look at verse 12 now. Revelation 13, 12. It, the false prophet, exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Now, this is what's weird here. Uh, it's all weird. Let's just be honest. It's all weird. But the first beast has all this power. He's fully possessed. And now this new beast comes on the scene, this false prophet. He is the mouthpiece. He's what everybody's talking about because he's kind of like the press guy. He's out there. The first beast kind of sinks back into the scenes just a little bit. And I think you're going to see why. Notice this false prophet has all the same authority as the Antichrist. He operates on his behalf and he can tells the entire world, not just Christians that are being persecuted, but all others to worship the beast. And notice, it's him that continues the lie of the beast's death, that fake uh, resurrection from the dead. Here's what I want you to know. The false prophet will have a worldwide influence and a reputation as a miracle worker and a gifted speaker. People will go to hear this guy speak and they'll go, I've never heard anybody this good. Man, he's funny. It's like an hour goes by, and it's like it was just two minutes. He's funny. He keeps my attention riveted. Uh, he's uh, handsome, all that stuff, and he does miracles, and people will be amazed. How do people fall for this stuff? Well, it happens all the time. Even, uh, even Christians are taken uh, in by false prophets even right now. Uh, all over the world, there are uh, little false prophets. I don't think the main false prophets on the scene. But over the last year, I've studied false revivals and real revivals called counterfeit revivals. Uh, real movements of God we call revivals where God's word uh, uh, goes out and, and people come to know Christ in great numbers. Then there are counterfeit revivals. I've been reading books. I won't bother you with that, uh, bore you with it. But if you want a great book to look, just kind of a condensed version of what I've been able to read, um, one's called Counterfeit Revival by Hank Hanegraaff, uh, the Bible Answer Man. Solid, solid. Solid stuff, pretty scary. Uh, it will surprise uh, many of you. Look at this, though. False prophets usually work because of money. You can always follow the money on these guys. Um, we see it today. I'm going to hurt some people's feelings. I don't mean to, but I would say false prophets in there. And as I say these, I'm not saying everything they say is evil. No, in fact, a lot of what they say is comes straight out of Scripture, but they mix 
little bit of poison in, or they leave out big sections of Scripture, and they come up with a theology, a doctrine that is not based on the Bible. Guys like Creflo Dollar. Can I say it and not get upset? Uh, people get upset, but it's true. Uh, Joel Osteen would be another. I wholly believe that. Benny Hinn. Many, many others. I mean, I could name hundreds right here through the last century. By the way, here's how false prophets work. Here's how false prophets work. How false prophets work, they use false perfection. I mean, these guys have carefully polished personas. They look good. The hair's right. Teeth are all white. Uh, you know, they, they have everything together, right? Uh, they're rich, they're successful, they're never ever sad, they have this, they're passionate, all of that. They've got this persona, but notice, notice, you can never get too close to them because one, they're on TV usually or on the internet. Um, but it's kind of like, you remember the Wizard of Oz? Remember that when they go and they go, well, the great wizard, uh, they just go, hey, don't look behind the curtain. They don't want you to look at the real guy. They just want you to see the polished guy. False prophets uh, work this way too. Uh, false authority, false authority. Um, false prophets always claim to have access to information from God that you have to get from them alone. No one else has this. You'll see this in uh, churches, uh, sometimes well-meaning churches, when they go, hey, here's a word of faith that only I have. I'm the only way. This is how a false prophet works. Look at this. How about this one? False prophets work false hope. By giving false hope, there's some sort of reassurance uh, offered, but it always is, uh, to get this hope, it's transactional. You know what I mean? Like you have to buy my book. You have to come to my service, buy the ticket. Uh, you have to listen to my radio, uh, uh, my radio broadcast. You have to send your dollars in. If you give a thousand dollars today, right now, I can heal you. You see what I mean? Boy, I'm too good at that, aren't I? I, I I've got the accent, don't I? Um, how about this one? False prophets work. How false prophets work? False gospel. This is key. Uh, this is the story that your life could be so much better, so much more com, uh, convenient, more meaningful, give you hope as long as you do this to me. It's always just out of reach. You go, I could really be happy if I live this program. And instead of preaching Jesus, they preach a method, a method of living life their way. And it always seems like a, a goal just out of reach, right? Um, if you get the formula right, how about this one? How false prophets work? False healings. Now we've seen this over and all over uh, through the uh, 20th century. You saw them like crazy, giant tent revivals. Some of them real, uh, but most of them fake. Along these lines, there's temporary sense of fulfillment that comes kind of from throwing yourself into the frenzy of it. I'm so excited. And people have the adrenaline. They go, uh, but I thought you had pain in your light leg. Well, no, no, it's, it's good now. It's kind of like the, the thrill of skydiving, right? You go, I'm getting the thrill of skydiving, but it's temporary. Not unlike using drugs or even having illicit sex. Those things, those things give you the rush. This does too. 
The key to debunking any false prophet is what we remind you of week in and week out at Bentree in Loveland and Pastor Mike does in Greeley. The truth proclaimed has to match up with Scripture and not just part of it. It can't contradict any Scripture. It has to go together, right? Real truth cannot contradict God's Word. And I can hear the voice of some of you saying, yeah, but that's all, all great, Paul, but you've not experienced what I've experienced. And, and I would agree. I've not lived your life. I've not experienced what you have experienced. Um, I don't know what you've lived through, what you've seen. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Write this down. Our personal experience does not trump God's word. Do you understand our personal experience. You go, but Paul, I saw it. I, I'm, hang on, hang on. It does not trump God's word. Because let me just ask, have you ever been fooled? Have you ever been tricked by a magician? Have you? And the answer is yes, we all have. The highest authority is not our experience, but God's word, the Bible. Even when you have seen it firsthand, you felt it, you thought you had your liver quiver, and the whole thing was great, and I saw it. I'm just telling you, if it goes against God's word, it's false. This is why so many Christians are led into false theology. You saw something that didn't match up with Scripture, and you took it as truth over Scripture Folks, we cannot do that as believers in Jesus. We just can't. I would love to hit this more, but we, we need to keep moving. But you are welcome um, to, to look into this more. I'd love to talk to you about it more. Um, you're about to see what we just learned come alive here. It's the reason I hit it, because look at verse 13. This is chapter 13 of Revelation. Here it is. It, the false prophet, also performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven uh, to earth in front of people. Two things I want you to see. The false prophet performs great signs. That's how Jesus was described in, I think, John 2 and John 6 when he's doing miracles. In other words, he's looking kind of like Jesus, right, and how he's doing these great signs. Notice they're not called miracles. Uh, even causing fire to come down out of heaven. Do you remember this from volume two when the two witnesses were there? What did they do when anybody opposed them? They, call, they caused fire to come down out of heaven. They're doing a knockoff version, a fake version of what a real God has done. Uh, now, this next part is so strange. And you're saying, this next part, it's all strange. It, it's true. But this has imagery in it. But here's the thing, like you know how we talked about horns and heads and monsters and stuff. This sounds crazy, but I think this is not just imagery, this is reality that it's explaining. Does that make sense? Look at verse 14, the first half. It, the false prophet, deceives those who live on the earth because, because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast. He's in the presence of the beast. Everybody loves this uh, the beast, so they love the false prophet, his biggest cheerleader, right? Remember, people will see this stuff 24-7 on their phone. The false prophet is doing all these signs in the presence of the Antichrist. The world sees the Antichrist as a savior, and they're looking 24-7 on this. Look at what the second half of this verse, watch what he tells the world to do. This is the Antichrist, I'm sorry, the false prophet. He says, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast. 
who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Look at that last part. He's talking about the Antichrist. That assassination attempt looked fatal. Looked like he rose from the dead was faked. But the, the uh, false prophet is saying, look, I want you to make an image of the beast. An image of the beast. We don't know what this is for sure. This is all open-handed interpretation, but here's, here's what I think after studying this for years. The false prophet will convince people that, that they need to build this image of the Antichrist, something super large inside the temple on the Temple Mount, this rebuilt uh, Jewish temple. You get this picture? Um, the Holy of Holies will have this image, and what I keep using the term image, it's really an idol that they're building, a giant idol, if you will. Look at verse 15. It, the false prophet, was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. In other words, they said, hey, baby, you go worship this or you're going to die. And people go, I think I'll worship you know, it's kind of, it's this, this picture of the false prophet causing the image to speak. It's interesting. Here's the part we don't get well. The false prophet will cause the image to speak. We don't know what that is exactly. Like an animatronic at Disney World. You know, Hall of Presidents. Uh, you see the presidents speak. It's not them, but it looks real. But picture that on a, a giant scale. Picture on a giant scale. Um, any, anybody ever seen Kim Jong-un on TV? You know, the little uh, uh, Korean leader. And, and people go, I don't understand why they worship. I go, I do. I do. Uh, they'll kill him. Like when his father and his grandfather died. You remember seeing that on, on TV? The, they go, they're just wailing, falling on the ground because they say, if you don't cry that they're dead, then you will be shot yourself. That'll give you a reason to cry. But look at this. Anybody ever been to Washington, D.C.? You guys been to Washington, D.C.? Uh, I love Washington, D.C. I love history stuff. One of my favorite memorials is the Lincoln Memorial. Everybody's seen that, right? It's this giant stone Lincoln sitting on a stone chair, right? And you're sitting uh, or you're standing down there and you're just tiny compared to this. His, his great hands are there. and It's like that size, picture this idol, but can speak. Uh, and we don't know how it will work. Here's what I want you to know. Worshippers will buy into this, uh, even though it contradicts Scripture. Satan wants your worship. Satan wants your worship. We make idols out of everything, don't we? And you go, what do you mean we make idols out? Anything that we think that will make us happy, um, we can put up sometimes in place of God instead of God giving us everything we need. I mean, Money, houses, relationships, our kids, our marriages, our job, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. They're just created things. But what we do is we hope to get out of that relationship or maybe if I had a baby or maybe if I got married or maybe if I got this job or got that house, I would be happy. We, we put that out and we live our lives trying to pursue that idol. Make sense? Same kind of an idea here. None of those are bad in themselves, but they're bad when they replace our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
The Old Testament book of Habakkuk 2.19 said this, Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. Now here's what I want you to see. It appears that this statue, this image of the beast has come alive. It, it, it is fake though. Even though it's perfect, everybody wants to look at it. The idol is fake, fake, but people believe it. Would you? You go, no, Paul, we, we don't believe that. No. Do you? Write this down. Whenever we settle on something less than God himself, we worship an idol. We're in an idol worship. Do you understand? When we settle our hearts, when we settle our lives on something less than God, even if it's a good thing, we worship an idol. They're hoping the Antichrist can bring them happiness. The Apostle, point, the Apostle Paul pointed this out to the early church as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says, The coming of the lawless one, talking about the Antichrist, is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. And with every kind of wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. Oh, please hear this. Look at that last line. They perished. Why? Because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. Uh, any idea, any idea what kind of love, I mean the Greek love on this, we just did a whole series on this. This is the, the Greek agape love. Anything less than God uh, that we place our faith into, we settle for, is a false God. 